Our text this morning comes from a very dramatic scene. It's during the final hours of Jesus' life on this earth. Jesus is on trial. And He's standing face to face with Governor Pilate, the Roman governor. And this moment is a moment that's filled with great possibilities. There have been some very strange rumors in the streets of Jerusalem about this man, Jesus. One report tells that some of his most enthusiastic followers escorted him into the city on Sunday with more rashness than reason. These enthusiastic supporters cried, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord! Pilate knows the tempestuous temperament of the people. And Pilate has found these rumors about Jesus to be somewhat disquieting. And yet, at the same time, Pilate really can't bring himself to come to grips with the idea that Rome really has much to fear from this man that's just out of the carpenter shop. A man that has only a handful of insignificant peasants and fishermen at his back. And yet, at that very moment, face to face with Jesus... Pilate finds Jesus to be strangely disturbing. If this man is a fraud, he is unlike any other fraud that Pilate has ever met. In spite of his prejudices, in spite of what he thinks, this Roman governor is impressed. And so it's with a mixture of awe and amazement that Pilate asks Jesus a question. He looks at him and he says, Art thou the king of the Jews? In reply, Jesus asks Governor Pilate the very searching and very daring question of our text in John 18 verse 34. Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Phillips puts it this way. Are you asking this of your own accord, or have other people spoken to you about me? It's as if Jesus looks that Roman governor right in the eye. And He says, Pilate, are you speaking from your own experience? Or is it hearsay? Am I your king? Folks, that is a daring question. You see, Jesus had hope for Pilate. And the hope that Jesus had for Pilate shows in that question 
When Jesus appeared before Herod, go, go read it sometime. Jesus appeared before Herod. Jesus never said a word. Because Jesus knew that Herod had stopped his ears to the truth for so long that Herod had totally lost his capacity to hear. Herod had closed his eyes to the light for so long he'd gone completely blind. But in Pilate, Jesus saw some possibilities. In Pilate, Jesus saw a glimmer of hope. He believed that down deep inside Pilate, the governor was still capable of making good choices. So with that question, he opened the door of the kingdom for Pilate. He offered Pilate the invitation to change hearsay into experience. And to be sure, Pilate was impressed. Tragically, Pilate was, was not impressed enough to make the change. In one respect, this story of Jesus before Governor Pilate is a very unique story. In another respect, folks, it's a story that comes very near to every one of us. As followers of Jesus, as part of the church, we have acknowledged the kingship of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, as part of the church, we have acknowledged Jesus as Lord. But, that begs the question, is that kingship and that lordship of Jesus, is it a reality? Put another way, is our religion... Is our Christianity, is it a matter of hearsay or a matter of experience? If it's only hearsay, then we've missed the greatest and we've missed the best. Now, that's not to say that hearsay is of absolutely no value. It has its place and it has its value. But, when it comes to religion, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the Lordship of Jesus, it's not enough. Now, one thing you might want to know and you might ask, yeah, hearsay, uh, what's the value of hearsay? What is hearsay good for? This might surprise you, but we are indebted to hearsay for almost all of the small knowledge we possess. Let me ask you something. How much do you know about history? I would venture to say there's very little history that anyone in this room has first-hand knowledge of. I'm told there was once a man named Julius Caesar 
who waged a military campaign in Gaul. How many of you have first-hand knowledge of that? I've been told this same Caesar wrote commentaries about that campaign. Whether or not Caesar actually wrote those, it's impossible for me to say. The only thing I can actually be sure of is that somebody wrote them. But I don't have any first-hand knowledge of Julius Caesar. I am told by hearsay who discovered America, but I don't know it for a fact. I have to depend on hearsay for this as for almost every other fact of history that I possess. In the same way, the very minuscule amount I know about astronomy is nothing but hearsay. I have read and I have been told that the sun is 92,960,000 miles from the earth. I've never personally measured it. I did hear, hear about some uh, university students that were planning a trip to the sun on a rocket ship. And someone posed the question to them that, you know, how can you do that? The sun is so hot it will melt the rocket ship. And they said, we figured that out. We're going to go at night. That's also hearsay. But I'm told the sun is 92,960,000 miles from the earth. I've also been told that the temperature of this same sun is approximately 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Is there anyone here that has first-hand knowledge of either one of those facts? I've never tested the truth of either one of those statements, and I don't intend to. Now, what I do find sometimes amusing is you can tell someone the sun is 92,960,000 miles from the earth. And they say, that's right. And you can say the temperature of the sun is approximately 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. They see a sign that says wet paint and they've got to touch it. Go figure that one out for me. You see, in matters of history and in matters of astronomy... I have to take the word of someone else. It's hearsay knowledge. We've got a saying that that we use a lot. Well, I'm willing to take your word for that. And if we stop and think about it, the truth of the matter is that in many things, all of us are ready to do that. We're ready to take somebody's word for that. People have always told you if you put your hand on a red-hot stove, It'll be painful. It can even cause injury. How many of you have ever put that to the test? We walked into a motel room one night, and we had a kitchenette in that motel room, and the electric stove, someone had bumped it evidently, but one of the burner elements over there was glowing red. And like a dummy, 
I walked over there and touched it to see if it was hot. It was. In my defense, I was only 19. But you know what? Ever since then, when somebody says a red-hot stove is hot, I take their word for it. I'm willing to accept what they say. I'm not going to try it ever again. You see, hearsay can be valuable to us. Even in matters of religion, sometimes hearsay can be priceless. It's hearsay that makes this book we call the Bible the most precious in all the world. For instance, the psalmist writes in Psalms 34 and verse 4, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Well, what were the fears that were yapping at the heels of the psalmist in Psalms 34? He doesn't tell us. He does tell us that he called on God and God heard him and God delivered him from those fears. As far as I know, that's only hearsay. But it's the hearsay of the psalmist and it's hearsay that warms my heart. It's that kind of hearsay that gives us hope. It's that kind of hearsay that should make us grateful for the Scriptures. And the testimony of the saints throughout all the centuries is also priceless. We owe them a debt that we can never pay. I can never be sufficiently thankful for the godly men and women that I have known throughout my life. Those that, not just family members, but church family. Those that helped shape and mold my life as a child. Nancy Barnes taught Sunday school class for preschoolers at Northside in Texarkana. She was my Sunday school teacher when I was five years old. That's been 20 or 30 years ago. But I'll never forget Nancy Barnes. I will never forget her with that sandbox and those flannel graph figures as she would tell those Bible stories. And she made Abraham come to life. And she made Joseph real for me. And she made the Joshua and the walls of Jericho falling down become a reality for a five-year-old child. I'll never forget her. I'll never forget some of those sweet people at Karnak, Texas when I was a boy preacher. And they were paying me $25 a week to preach on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And I've looked at those outlines and I should have paid them 50 to listen to it. But I owe godly men and women a debt of gratitude I can never pay. I can't ever be sufficiently thankful to God for them. Hearsay in religion and hearsay in Christianity, it's of a great deal of importance. But write this down. Hearsay is not enough. To achieve its purpose, 
Folks, it's got to be changed into experience. Because it's only experience that can satisfy the human soul. It's a wonderful thing to know about God. God who created the heavens and the earth. God who empowered Moses to part the waters of the Red Sea. God whose Son Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and healed the sick and raised the dead and made the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. It's wonderful to know all about that. But no knowledge about God can ever take the place of knowing God Himself. I might be an expert on bread. I may know all about its food value. I might even know how to prepare it. But no amount of knowledge about bread can ever satisfy my hunger. To satisfy my hunger, I have to eat bread and I have to take it into my body. It doesn't matter how much I might know about water. My tongue's going to become swollen, my lips are going to be parched, and my body is going to be tortured to the point of death unless I experience water by actually drinking it. It's a fine thing to know about flowers and to have a knowledge of the science of botany. But no knowledge of botany takes the place of the perfume of the rose or the richness of its red color. In that same way, no knowledge about God can ever take the place of knowing God through Jesus Christ. Our world has problems. What's wrong with our world, our tired and restless world? If God's man Isaiah appeared on the streets today, he had asked the same question he asked in the long ago. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? It's in Isaiah 55 and verse 2. Our world is fretful. Our world is hungry. Our world is starving for something or someone that it has not found. And that's even true of folks in the church. Some folks just have not found what it is they were hoping to find. To be sure, there are folks who consider the Lord to be their shepherd, but there's no song in their heart. They haven't learned to sing with joy and gladness, the Lord is my shepherd. There are folks that are certain that God loves all men, but they've not learned to personalize it and internalize it and say, God loves me and gave Himself for me. Hearsay's good, folks. But unless we translate that hearsay into experience, we can never come to that spiritual certainty that's able to calm and soothe and satisfy our troubled hearts.
You see, it's only when we change hearsay into experience that we have a passion, a burning passion to share it with others. When we feel we know something worthwhile, we have an eagerness to share that knowledge. Remember that day that Andrew heard John the Baptist point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Andrew and John spent the day with Jesus. And after he spent the day with Jesus, the Scripture says that Andrew first found his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. After Andrew came to know Jesus, after Andrew experienced Jesus Christ, he could not wait until he found his brother Simon and told him about Jesus. And there was that woman at Jacob's well when she sat down and had her conversation with Jesus on the well curb. And she realized He was the Messiah. She left her water pot. She forgot all about what she was there for, what her mission was. And she went running back into the city because she couldn't wait to go back to the city and tell other people about her experience about meeting Jesus. When we change hearsay into experience in our own lives, we'll have that same passion. And when we change hearsay to experience, we'll have power sharing the gospel with others. I want you to look back by an eye of faith. Jesus is on the mountainside. He's preached to those multitudes. And as He brought that sermon on the mount, as we call it, to a close, Matthew says that when Jesus had finished these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. Why, Matthew? Because He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. It was that same authority that enabled those early saints in the book of Acts to turn the world upside down. It's Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Looking at Jesus and saying, My Lord and my God. It's Paul writing to Timothy and saying, I know whom I have believed. Beloved, we need that same kind of certainty. We've got to change our hearsay to experience. And the feeling and the certainty of Paul and Thomas and the woman of Samaria to their certainty is available to us. Are you listening? To be sure of God, it is not necessary to be perfect. If it was necessary to be perfect, to be sure of God, we could lock the doors today and never come back. It's not necessary to be perfect. 
All that's necessary is to be living within the will of God. To change hearsay to experience, we've got to be willing to make a complete surrender to God. We've got to be willing to put ourselves and everything we've got into the hands of God. We've got to be willing to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives. We do it by believing in Him with all of our heart, confessing His name before men, turning our back on sin through repentance, being buried in the waters of baptism, raised to walk a new creature, a Christian, washed of cleansed, and beginning to live within the will of God. That makes Jesus the Lord and Master of our lives. And we do it then by continuing to live within the will of God and making Jesus the Lord and the Master of our lives. And as I've said on so many, many other occasions, if, if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, Jesus is not Lord and Master at all your life. And if there are changes you need to make for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, now's the time to do it as we stand and while we sing.